Turn to Daniel 7, and we're going to read Daniel 7, 9 through 14. Maybe an interesting place to begin here on the first Sunday of Advent in one of the Old Testament books, in particular an Old Testament book that is uh, apocalyptic, <laughs> uh, just like Revelation is. It's a fascinating book here, but let's pick up here in Daniel 7 and, and verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful, it's quick, it's alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to our core. And Lord, would You do just that with these words this morning? coming from an Old Testament prophet roughly 2,500 years ago. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He saw one like a son of man, verse 13 tells us. Son of man, this term that Jesus uses of Himself Almost a self-designated term. It's interesting that in the Bible, in the Gospels, no one calls Him Son of Man. But every chance He gets, He refers to Himself as the Son of Man. The only reference in the Bible of somebody else calling Him the Son of Man was when they were repeating His words back to Him. Or that one instance in Acts where Stephen is dying and he says, look, there's the Son of Man standing at the Father's right hand. Sixty-five times in the New Testament, Jesus from His own mouth says He is the Son of Man. Such times as in Mark 2 when He is healing the guy who come through the roof, right? Paralytic. 
He says, I'm going to heal him so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man. Spoken by Daniel. Saul in a vision by Daniel in chapter 7 here. A Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. I want to say a few things this morning about this Son of Man. Literally, the term means Son of Adam. So you think, at least for me, I immediately think Chronicles of Narnia. Daughter of Eve, Son of Adam. That's the designated terms for humans in that world. Here, the term literally means, because mankind, that term in Hebrew is Adam. I mean, Adam means mankind. So he's the son of mankind, or he's the son of man, or he's the son of Adam. Literally Adam. The first thing I want to say is this. He comes in clouds of glory. This is the vision that that Daniel begins to see here. And again, when when you're seeing visions, obviously a lot of stuff is going on. I mean, stuff that I, I can't even begin to get into you here concerning apocalyptic literature. I mean, read Revelation... And you'll understand what Daniel's about. In other words, Daniel is the revelation in the Old Testament. It's the one apocalyptic book of the Old Testament. Uh, He sees things that are about to come to fruition in his life, but also he sees way beyond that to the end of time. So, again, he sees the first advent. Daniel does. You remember Daniel? This young guy who is ripped from the land because he's smart. He, be- he becomes a political figure in a foreign nation, in a foreign land. So they place him as one of the cabinet members to people like Nebuchadnezzar, who's obviously a wicked king for the most part. Even though in the book of Daniel he repents three different times and says God is Lord. Daniel, this one who did not defile himself with the king's food. Daniel, this one who did not defile himself even in political power. Now that's something to be commended, is it not? Most of our political power that we're aware of in our life is totally corrupted by money and self-interest. Here, Daniel actually works for two different kingdoms in his life. One is Babylon. The other is Persia. So he gets a job in both as a high political cabinet member. Advisor. And yet he never disobeys God in his life. We we never see Daniel failing God. Instead, what we see of Daniel is from the time he's a young man, he doesn't go astray. To when he's a middle-aged man in politics, he doesn't go astray. To when he's an old man, he still doesn't go astray. So much that they tell him to stop praying three times a day, and he says no. He prays anyway, they throw him in the lion's den. You remember all the fascinating stories that surround this man's life. This is the Daniel that sees the Son of Man in a vision with the Ancient of Days, who obviously is God here. Now there's a lot of things going on here in the context. You have four beasts that are arising out of the sea, and from these four beasts, the end one, the last one, is unlike any of the other ones. The other ones get descriptions such as a bear, 
such as a lion with eagle's wings. The last beast doesn't even get an animalistic description. It's too horrifying to describe. And then one horn comes out and destroys them all in a a sense, unifies them all in a way, and that is the Antichrist. And then that's when he sees the Ancient of Days sit down on his throne, sitting in in a position of judgment, and then open up the books. The record of history. And then that's when he sees the Son of Man coming in clouds. Now, the first thing I want to say is this. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. You say, well, duh, Marshall. Of course He is. But notice this. Think about humanity. We are always trying to get to God. I mean, that's what religion is at its base, at its core. These guys are in world religions, by the way. That's the class they're in. That's what religion is. I'm kind of putting in a plug here. Um is it's our search for God. I mean, if you wanted to just a base definition of what religion is, it's our search for God. That's what religion is trying to do, is to find God, uh, to, to unify ourselves with God, to reconcile ourselves to God, to try to figure out, to harmonize, if you will, ourselves with the divine, whatever that means, divine. In the Bible, you have the opposite thing going on. In the Bible, it's not about humans trying to search out for God, but instead, God searching out humans. Son of man! Son of Adam! Notice, one of the first major sins of society in Genesis, when everything's spiraling out of, out of order, is what? The Tower of Babel. What do they try to do? They try to build a staircase to get to God. It's the first big institution of religion. It's the first big project. People are funding it. And God confuses their languages so that they have to move out. They can't even talk to each other anymore. Hence, they can't build. You can't build your way up to God. That's one of the first things the Bible establishes in Genesis 11. But then notice this. You you get this this cat that we've talked about before, Jacob. You'll know if, if you know anything about his life. You'll know why I call him a cat. Quote, unquote. He is sly. He is a deceiver. It's what his name means. And yet, he flees from his brother, lays his head down on a rock, and one night he has a dream. In this dream, what does he see? We call it Jacob's Ladder. It's really a staircase. He sees a staircase where where angels are descending and ascending. He says, and he wakes up from the dream and he's a little freaked out. And he says, this, this, this is the gateway of heaven. I, I found some secret door to where the divine, I can, I can get in touch with the divine. And he calls the place Bethel, which means the presence of God is here. <laughs> and Daniel sees something similar, except it's not Jacob. It's not a certain place on earth but instead it's a person. Isn't that how God's salvation always works? It's not just a certain place. I don't have to be standing in the right... Okay, hang on. I feel the signal getting stronger. Okay, oh, now I'm finally saved because I moved here instead of here. No, it's not about a place. It's about a person. He sees a person who is the gateway of this descent and ascent. Ascent. 
Now, one way you talk about God's salvation plan is that He ascend, uh, He sorry descended first, right? I mean, the, the first advent is God coming to us. Just like what we're saying here. Christianity is not you know, a religion based on the other religions. It's not. It's really anti-religion in that sense because God is coming after us, not us coming after God. So you have God making a descent to us. I mean, coming from heaven where He's at, that's a little bit of a, you know, there's no headaches, no suffering, and He comes into our world. Welcome to our world where, I mean, just look at His disciples. If you don't think that Jesus experienced stress, just look at His disciples, right? One of them was wanting, you know, a couple of them were wanting to call down fire on people every chance they got. They're like, hey, use your special powers to burn people up. You know, uh, which maybe, maybe represents some of us in this room. Other people, you know, they were, they were uh, always sticking their foot in their mouth, which may represent another whole group of us, um, including myself. And then you had some more who were obviously, you know, Judas is stealing. So, you know, our treasurer, just imagine our treasurer stealing all the money that you just gave. Um, so, Jesus had an interesting group of people who He called friends. He had stress in His life. He didn't live some kind of life that was not like our life. He took on flesh, which is what we celebrate today. He took on a body from Mary, the Son of Man. And so He descends, but then that's not... And He really descends all the way to hell for us. And then He ascends back to the Father. And what is that? You see the V for victory. That is our salvation, is this descent, ascent. Because now, we're down, we start down here in the pit. And He can raise us up because He has forged a pathway. He's the pioneer of the human race. He is the victor. Christus victor. Christ the victor. In the Gospel of John, which I always love, John's uh, almost poetic way of saying things. Notice what he says in chapter 1 and verse 51. And he said to him, this is Jesus, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then again in chapter 3 and verse 13, No one has ascended into heaven except He who descended from heaven, comma, the Son of Man. This title, the Son of Man, in itself means He is the gateway, the gate, the door to heaven. It's not you forging a way. It's not you choosing which door to open. It's not trying to open the door of all religions. No. There's one religion. And it's not a religion. It's a person. Jesus Christ. 
who's the Son of Man? Who descended and ascended for us to claim victory for us so that we don't have to live lives in the pit. We can live victorious. That's the gospel. That's the good news this morning is we can live victorious because of the victorious one. The second thing is that the secret now has been revealed. We live in a time unlike Daniel's where he's seeing it from afar, but instead we now know that the Son of Man has come and has lived and has died and has risen all the way back to the Father. In a way, this vision of Daniel is partially fulfilled. The Ancient of Days has sat down. He laughs at the nations. Psalm 2. You know, it's one of these laughs, not like <laughs> crying laugh, but oh, 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 like, like ho, 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 you know. Uh, it's, a, it's a dominant laugh. Uh, it's one that's mocking the nations. They have nothing on Him. He sits in the place of... Even though nations arise and we think, wow, man, that's a nation to contend with. God flicks it like a little bug. It's nothing to Him. It's partially fulfilled. His first advent has already come. Again, Advent meaning coming. His appearing. He's already appeared once. Now, all that's left is Him to appear again. And we don't know when that's going to occur. It's what our reading was from 1 Thessalonians this morning. We don't know. By the way, our Luke reading had two references to the Son of Man. Coming in clouds of glory. Where, where does He get that term? Where, where does that idea spawn from? Daniel's vision. This is pro- when he takes on the title Son of Man, he's taking on a title that in a way is obscure. It's couched in mystery. And yet it's the mystery of the incarnation that saves us. It's not just the cross. The cross means nothing if his body is not on the cross. If that body is not God and man in one person. It means nothing. It's just somebody else doing a good deed for us like soldiers do all the time. Giving their life. But because God takes on flesh, that changes everything. That's why the cross is a symbol of hope. This baby that is born is the symbol of hope for mankind, for Adam. So this son of Adam that is born is is for the hope of Adam. The hope of mankind. And the secret's been revealed. Jesus even tells us in His first message, the very first thing He ever preached was the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, therefore, and believe. We've been talking for four weeks about the kingdom of God. And God being king. Jesus being the king of kings. And now this Son of Man, what does it say here? This Son of Man, what is the Ancient of Days? When the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days, what does He do? He gives Him dominion over everything. Just for a couple years? No. Everlasting 
dominion which shall not pass away, and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus talks of the kingdom of God as being like yeast, where when you put it in the dough, just a little bit of it will blow the whole thing out. It makes it alive. Or He talks about it as a seed. Small, almost insignificant, and yet when it's placed in good soil, can become a ginormous tree used for all types of purposes, mainly to produce fruit. I mean, Jessica and I were watching some show where there was this beautiful picture of this massive tree. Uh, I believe it was in Louisiana, the ones where, they, where the branches come all the way down and kind of almost sweep the ground. I mean, where you can kind of get under it and it's almost like you're under a big canvas. All from a little seed. That's what the kingdom of God is like. He becomes a little seed in Mary. Right at this point. From heaven. With no sex involved. Which is why we affirm again. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born. Gestated. Right here like Jessica's doing. Like April's doing right here. Gestating a baby in their womb. Carrying another person. He was carried by Mary. And then born of the virgin Mary. A little seed. Everybody starts out as a zygote. So did he. And he grew and multiplied to be fully human. The secret's been revealed. He is the son of Adam. It's a powerful mystery this morning that we celebrate and we ought to contemplate even this week. What does it mean that God became one of us? Not the other way around. I mean, most religions, again, are working the opposite direction. We're supposed to become like God. He becomes one of us. Why? Because He's always wanted to be with us. This is why the message of Christmas is so powerful. I mean... As we celebrate over the next three Sundays we have left, the imagery here, the Christmas songs that we'll sing, all lifting up Jesus Christ, what He's done. Don't miss it in your buying, in your stress, in your hustle and bustle. Don't miss Him. I know it's a maybe overused aphorism, but He really is the reason... For the season. Get it stuck in your head. Let it annoy you. As you're out shopping, let that phrase, He's the reason for the season, annoy you. So that you're not forgetting the real reason for Advent. For your salvation. He became a baby. Babies are insignificant to the world. I mean, you don't see babies sitting in our Congress leading our nation, and yet through this baby would come salvation. Isn't that what one of the Psalms say? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants comes God's strength. That's how He overpowers the evil one. The third thing is this. Jesus does something fascinating with this title, Son of Man. 
And that is, most of the people of his day thought the Messiah was going to come in and take over Rome. I mean, they were militaristic in their understanding. They were thinking, okay, good, when the Messiah reveals himself, I'm locked and loaded. I've already got my stuff on. I'm ready to go under my tunic here. As soon as he says the word, I'm, I'm, we're, we're, it's on, like neck bone. But instead, Jesus comes and says, no, don't pick up the sword. Those who live by the gun will die by the gun. I'm paraphrasing for our people because we don't use swords anymore. Jesus' kingdom is not one of violence or it's not taken by war. Instead, Jesus links Himself in this title, Son of Man, to Isaiah 53. We've talked about this before. The suffering servant, the one who bears our iniquities. Our chastisement was placed on Him. God condemned Him for our sake. He took my place. So He links it not to one of glorious general but suffering servant. He descended. Before He ascends, He descends. He's going to ride in on a white horse one day. We've already been told that uh, in Revelation. But that's His second coming. The first coming, He lands in disguise. It's a black ops mission. It's a secret. I mean, that morning on CNN, it wasn't scrolling underneath the, the, the t- television screen the next morning. God has arrived. It wasn't all over the new pit, uh, newspapers. Emmanuel. God with... No. Not many people knew. There's only a handful of people that knew. And yet from the dark alleyways of Bethlehem would come the light that would light even our hearts to this day. 2,000 years later. He's the suffering servant because He's the son of Adam. And all of Adam's sons, all of the daughters of Eve, suffer. And so if He's truly human, then He too will suffer. And really, He suffers more than any human ever did. Not because He had the worst form of cancer, or cerebral palsy, but because He was God and we took our vengeance out on God. God came to us, presented Himself to us, and we killed Him. If you've ever sinned, your voice was in that crowd. And all of us have sinned. All of us participated in His death. That's why we have the ability to all participate in also His life. You see, because of Adam, Paul tells us in Romans, all all sin. I mean, one person's sin affected everybody. But you know what the good news is? Jesus also affected everybody. Everybody. That's good news, folks. Just as I, I mean, look, it's as sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow. That my kids, that Bo, will one day lie to me without me ever teaching him to lie. I don't have to do it. 
Nobody's lying. Jessica and I aren't lying in front of them and saying, hey, look, here's the best way to get your way is to lie. No. We don't have to teach them at all. And yet, when somebody pees in the garbage can, the other kid lies about it. Why? Because we're born with something that affects us in a real way. Now, here's the good news. Because of what Jesus has done, there's also an effect that goes out. There's a, there's a, there's a greater tremor. There's a greater earthquake in our world because of what Christ has done way more than Adam. Where, what, is it, what does the Bible say? Where sin has abounded, grace has abounded much more. So yeah, we think the effects of sin have been damaging, and they have. Trust me. To your own personal life and to our world. But let me tell you something. Grace is more. Grace is more powerful. Grace, God's grace, His amazing grace, is more powerful than any situation that you're facing right now. And I mean to tell you, I, I, I base my life on that. I've lived my life on that promise. He's a suffering servant. He's the one who brings grace to all people. And lastly, there's going to be a glorious second coming. His first coming was where He literally tabernacled with us. In the Old Testament, God says, I want, to, I want to dwell in the midst of your camp. So they built a tabernacle in the very center and all the tribes circled around it. And that's, that's how they moved around the desert. And then finally, they were able to build a temple in Jerusalem where God dwelt. That's what tabernacle means is dwelling. Now, there's no temple. There's no one temple. That's why we're meeting in a rented place. There's no one temple we have to meet in. Instead, again, it's not about a place it's about a person. God tabernacles with us. He took on flesh in, in, a, in a body, in a tabernacle. He dwelt with us and died for us so that we might live. And His second coming will be in that same body except a glorified body. Remember what Paul says? We don't know what we'll be like one day, but we know we'll be like Him. That's all we need to know. You don't need to know all the details. Just know that you'll be like Him. And the good news is He ate and drank even after He was resurrected. So I'm still thinking, you know, I'm still holding hope that there's going to be some good Cajun Creole cooking when I, when I get up to hell. I know there will be. Okay, Just like my dad always says, the crystal sea has to be a little murky in one place in order to have crawfish there. I believe that. I really do. Maybe they're just all crystallized crawfish. Who knows? This king who... Daniel sees here in chapter 7, he comes to judge. Jesus in His second coming, in His first coming, He came to seek and to save the lost. In the second coming, He's coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, for Him to judge, that means for Him to bring order. Isn't it good when people bring order to chaotic situations? I like it when Jessica brings order to our children. I like that. I'm, I'm, I'm getting stressed out, and I'm ready to throw one of them across the room or go tackle them, spear them, you know. But she can bring order 
in ways that I can't. And I can bring order in ways that she can't. We, we are a team. We have to be with, those, with all those people that are trying to overtake us. Um, we have to dig bunkers sometimes. But you know what? God, Jesus, the Son of Man, He's coming to bring order. He doesn't need bunkers. He doesn't need bazookas. He doesn't need AR-15s and 50 caliber rifles. No. He just needs to show up. When He shows up, it's going to all come down. It's all going to be over. But at that moment, which side are you going to be on? Because it doesn't matter what you think about yourself. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. The only thing that matters in that moment is if you've lived your life for Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. If the Son of Adam has affected your humanity, if His body, if the cross, that light that He brought into the world has come into your own body. That's all that matters. Nothing else matters. None of your accomplishments most of the things in our life will be blown away. What really matters is if you live for Jesus, the Son of Man. Same one that Daniel lived for. Same one that Abraham lived for. All the greats. He has authority on earth right now to forgive you of your sin. Whatever it may be. He has authority right now on earth to sanctify your heart and to make you pure, to make you holy. Do you know this king? He's the true king. He has come and he will come. What we do here in these services is prepare our hearts to meet Him. What we do in discipleship as we pray together is we prepare our souls to be joined to Him, to be married to Him. We're called to be a pure bride. This morning, if you have sin in your life, Jesus is here to forgive you. This is our makeshift altar. You can come here. You can pray where you are. You can pray with one of us. He's here to change your heart. It's why He descended. It's to help us to ascend to Him. We cannot do it on our own. It's not meant to be done on our own. And to Him was given dominion and glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. Are you serving Jesus? I just mean what you do for Him. In your own personal life, in your own heart right now, does He reign? I mean, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, Jesus reigns, He's up there, He's got this whole thing, yeah, He's got the world in His hands. But what about your world? What about your heart? What about my heart? Does he have my heart? 
because we so easily take it away from Him. Uh, let, let, me, let me just, you know, it's one thing to say, let me just try to do that myself here. Don't do it yourself. We were meant to be with Him. Emmanuel, God with us. He's the Son of Adam, Son of Mankind. Go to Him. Amen.